Welcome to the Taiwanese Diaspora Podcast, where we use personal storytelling to connect people of Taiwanese heritage from all around the world. I am Cynthia, and I'm excited to use this podcast platform as a way to explore what it means to be Taiwanese X. This is episode 34. This episode is bilingual in Mandarin Chinese and English. All right, so this is a very long interview. Um, we actually went over by quite a lot and ended up talking for two hours. So a few highlights. Bruce tells us about growing up on an orchard in Hood River, Oregon. And then we go deep in his post-college life. If you've been craving a story about persistence and resilience on the career front, keep listening to today's episode with Bruce. He shares about quitting a job that paid well to pursue a dream that he had since he was a kid, cradling his first pair of Nikes. It wasn't easy getting into the sneakers and branding side, but he hustled, pivoted, and met good people on the way and turned barriers into opportunities. 这是第三十四集我们今天聊的是用国语跟英文我跟江中祥聊了将近两个小时然后改成比较短一集给你们听他小时候在国元长大从小就知道想要走鞋子品牌的这个方向但是这个是比较难进去的一个职业他试了不同
Yeah, that was a long time ago. Well, very nice to reconnect with you. So we Okay,好,那大家好,我的名字是Bruce 在这里长大的 international business的这样子的商业，然后进了一个大公司，像Nike，做他们的鞋子的材料，然后现在自己再回到开了一个一个公司帮忙呃一些台湾的厂商在这里发展，所以是很高兴可以这样子让大家share一下我的这么my very excited to have you here, Bruce. For our English audience, can you do a quick intro in English as well? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So, hello everyone. My name is Bruce Chang. Um, so, my family, my immediate family, my parents and my brother and I immigrated here to uh, Hood River, Oregon from Taiwan when I was six years old. Um, pretty much grew up in a very rural area, around uh, 6,000 people in the community. So from there, um, just excited to share with everybody my experience growing up in a really non-Asian community and just not seeing a lot of people that really looked like me growing up and uh, what my experience was like um, from there to University of Oregon and uh, really what brought me to a career choice of trying to get into brand side and working in footwear and going to Taiwan to learn about materials and the opportunity that I had connecting with a company called Syntex and learning textiles from yarn extrusion all the way out to making the fabrics and the garments that we wear and the opportunity that I had connecting brand side and getting into footwear materials uh, with Nike for a solid two years and now coming out and working with Nike now uh, with a, a brand and a business of my own that I am currently running myself. Congratulations! OK,好,所以我是在台湾中西区长大的,所以是离台中还有丰原往东边,yes。所以是一个客家区,所以是我的家庭还有我妈妈的家庭也是全部大家是说客家长大的,不过我觉得我爸妈也是说他们很后悔
所以在那里长大的时候，是我我的家庭有在离山山上那边有一块地，然后是在那里，我爸爸有在那里种一些果树、苹果还有梨子。然后我爸爸他自己小时候他是自己想要来美国，有一有美国的教育，来美国的大学这样子的。不过他自己是没有这个机会，所以他是希望我和我。哥哥有这个这个机会，还有这个 opportunity， 所以他是一九九零或一九九一的时候来到美国，是先去旧金山那边，过那那里的地不适合他，嗯，那时候是种比较多葡萄这这些东西的，所以他是另外还有想要去西雅图那边，然后是。坐飞机的时候，经过 Oregon、Oregon 还有华盛顿州的那中间，经过哥伦比亚河往下看，他们只有看到很多种果树的地方。那时候是我爸跟我爷爷一起来美国，这样子来看可以买地的地方。所以那时候是就是经过从飞机经过看下去，看到这些果树还有这些地。他们决定要从西雅图开车下来看有没有适合的种果树的地方，然后就是这样子找到 Hood River Oregon， 然后从这里就是买了一块地，差不多六十 acre， 是 acre 跟平方，呃，是我是不知道怎么样去算的，不过是蛮大的一块地，然后是在这里种，一开始是种亚洲林。那时候就从小从在这里长大的时候，就是一直跟爸爸在果园这样子工作，做很多呃比较怎么样讲 laboring work。比如说小时候要几点起来，然后要做什么样的东西？嗯、um, ，大部分就是会比较用大的砍。车啊，或怪手这些这些很特别的机器，不过从小偷多呃十到十十三岁的时候就会开始试着开这些东西，然后需要挖一些洞啊，种果树，然后帮忙就像哎 pruning pruning， 我我忘了中文是怎么样讲，不过就是整个水果的 harvesting 的 process in a way。结果就是全部都会在果园这样子帮忙爸爸这样，然后就是很了解，每次就是长大的时候就记得想要什么东西，爸爸妈妈都是说我们是种果树的，没有钱，在<笑>我们是很 how should we put it blue chip workers I guess 自古过来的 ，Yeah， 中文我是。在想要怎么样解释的这样子，这样子比较辛苦的工作的呃、uh, ，laboring like effect， but not like getting so much return、mm。-hmm. <笑>不过这个也是我们小孩子这样子看的这个部分啊。我那时候爸爸妈妈应该这样子有努力的，这样子卖出卖出去去 Costco 这些 distribution 也。我觉得那时候也算是蛮成功的，所以一样， yeah, 我们现在还是爸爸妈也是在在 Hood River 还是一直保留这个这个果园，一直每年还是在 producing Green Dragon Apples 青龙苹果一样。Yeah, now is what they are working with. That's amazing. 
I, I feel like I've gone a little off topic. No, I love that. Wait, so you said they sell to Costco now, so. No, no, so they were distributing to Costco. At the time when I was growing up, we were selling Asian pears to Costco. And that was like the hardest work because Asian pears is what you have to keep the, the skin so light. That's what sells. So you have to individually bag the pears while they, after they're pruned. So like all you see these trees and they got like little bags on them just because you want to cover them and keep them away from sunlight so they could grow and look all nice and pretty when you uh, take off the bag. Oh, it's not to keep the squirrels away? No, 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 no. It's actually just to keep the sunlight out so they can have that white kind of looking uh, skin. Wow. Because when I was it took a couple of years to grow, mm-hmm. but it always got eaten by birds and squirrels. So everyone's like, oh, we need to bag it. So I thought that was why it got bagged. Oh, well, I mean, I'm sure it's a way to keep them out as well. But uh, one of the things is absolutely to keep the sun away. So they have that pure looking white and like kind of yellowish skin. Oh my gosh, that's a lot of work for every individual one. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So yeah, we were paid... Uh, I think the workers were getting paid like five cents a bag and we were getting paid like three. <laughs> That's what was going on when we were, when we were middle school and stuff. So what was the season like? like? Did you have to get up at a specific time to do it? Or like, was it like before and after school chores? Oh yeah, it was like a lot of spring vacation. Springtime when we had to prune and like kind of plant. And then during the winter time in the harvest season, that was when it was the, one of the hardest, toughest jobs that I felt that I've ever done. Because you're in a packing house and all of the pears that you're touching are super cold because you can't have any heat in the building. Just because if you have heat, then these guys will overripen and get soft so quickly. So there's no heat in the building and you're just like crowded around like touching all these super cold fruit and packaging them like nicely individually in these little nets styrofoam net little like textures mm-hmm. and then into these clam shells and then yeah um that's what we did for multiple winters <laughs> just thinking about it is just like bringing some chills and memories back <laughs> but yeah it was it definitely taught us about hard work and like not really receiving anything from it <laughs> and uh but knowing that right then and there like this is something that uh I probably don't want to be doing when I grow up so <laughs> it kind of got us to maybe study a little harder maybe I, I don't know what did you want to do next tell us a little bit more about your childhood yeah I came in first grade uh didn't know a lick of English pretty much just went into first grade. I remember the story was being super quiet, trying to learn or like do the readings and follow along as I could. It was kind of funny when it came to math because in kindergarten, when I was still studying in, in Taiwan, we were already uh, doing multiplications and division when I was leaving. Wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's like Sesame Street schools. Is it Time table. 
我我只记得在那个幼稚园的时候，我爸妈已经在那教我 the multiplication table， you know， so I had to memorize that stuff. I remember doing. But yeah, going into first grade, 就一年级数学课跟另外一些朋友坐下来在做数学的时候，大家都以为我是在比赛。不过我是一直就是觉得那么简单，因为大家都还在做加，还要减。然后我还有记得，我告诉我爸爸，有一些朋友他们的数字还是写着颠倒的，然后他不相信，叫我邀请一些朋友来家里玩，然后故意叫他们写家里的电话号码，然后有真的是有写颠倒，然后他就有一点不可思议的样子。But that's a pretty funny story to tell. <笑>三年级的时候，我哥哥就开始打篮球，因为我们小时候也是很爱运动还有篮球的。然后我哥哥打进了 AAU， 因为也是小的一个 community， 很早的球员，所以他们就是有一些可以跑可以投球的话，他们就会邀请到这些美国的 traveling team。哦哇！然后美国这里就是比较特别的地方，他们就会帮小朋友。应该三到五年级的时候就会 set up tournament 给这些不同的地区的 AAU teams， 所以我们我还记得小时候我哥哥就是参加了这个 AAU， 有去 Bend Oregon， 呃，有去海边那那些地方，就是离家里或许需要开车三百四百迈，然后去那里过夜，只是去打篮球而已，然后去打三天的 basketball tournament 这样子。对我爸妈来讲，这个很 eye opening 的一个 experience， 因为就是冰天雪地，我们不管怎么样，大家都会去参加他们的 family 的小朋友的 AAU tournament， 然后就可以看到这些爷爷奶奶还有爸爸妈妈的家庭都会就是在 support 他们的他们的小孩子，所以我爸妈就是觉得这个 experience 真的是蛮特别的，不过。轮到我的时候 ，When I got the AAU team,、uh, yeah, they they didn't travel with. Me. <laughs> <laughs> they were over the traveling, so it was all always for me. They're just like, yeah, is your friend going? Yeah, just go with their parents. Yeah, you'll be fine. That's awesome. Well, that's awesome that they had the trust to let you do it. Some families are like, no, no, just study. Don't do other extracurricular activities. Yeah, absolutely. But you know what? That was another thing that my parents did a, a good thing about, which they said, "Hey, if you're gonna play football,、uh, freshman year of high school, you're gonna be doing an hour of Chinese homework every day before you're done." And that was the commitment to sports because I wanted to play football that badly.、Um, that that's what I did. Uh, it's just really to my, I guess, my parents that、uh, that they just like kept it up with my brother and I all these years and made sure that we never, never let go of the in Chinese. And whenever you go home, whenever you're at home speaking to them, it's just always Chinese. Even though that they would reply to you in Hakka, like you know, it's all all Chinese. Wow, that's actually really interesting. You 们那边没有中文学校，但是你父母在家里教你们中文跟客家话。对，完全是在家。波特兰那边是有中文学校，然后我们是有参加，好像是两三年，不过是一个礼拜一次。然后到那个那时候，我爸妈是觉得有一点没有效了。
去中文学校只有呃呀一个礼拜一次这样子几个小时，真的对他们来讲就是呃宁愿自己在家里教，比带到中文学校还还比较有效，他们是这么认为的。我我不知道 if it was right or wrong。因为我是记得有一些那个中文学校的呃、uh, ，like speech， like where you had to speak in front of people in Chinese， like that kind of yeah， 演讲比赛对，演讲、uh-huh. yeah， it, yeah， that really 有帮助我的 speaking ability in a way。那他们是怎么样教你？嗯、um, ，因为我妈妈的，我的公，我的公公还有我的婆婆，他们是老师。他们是在东市是当老师的，所以我的我妈妈也有经过很多他们的这样子的教育。我妈妈也是在台湾，也是有当呃一阵子是一个补习老师，然后也有接班老师，所以我妈也有做这样这样子的教育的 experience or teaching curriculum in a way。因为他是大部分就是半个小时写字，然后半个小时读，就是背中文或者家里是有很多故事的小小本的中文书，然后就会拿起来要背一句或者怎么样，然后然后需要知道了解每每一个字，然后是在讲什么内内内容里面是在讲什么东西，这些东西需要解释给爸妈这样子听。That's what we were doing in elementary school, and then that kind of changed. Well, I want to say in middle school. 到国中的时候就开始比较，我觉得应该是说我和我哥那时候就变成比较会用英文沟通。我们两个，所以到那时候就比较少在家里做这些中文的功课这样子的东西。不过。最后，爸妈还是有说，要是要玩电动，还是要用电脑的话，还是需要写一篇中文的功课或者作文，然后是有带很多台湾买的补习的功课，哇，然后会带回来美国这边给我们这样子写。哇，好特别哦 ，Yeah， so lucky. That's a lot of work. Your mom's really dedicated. That's like really amazing. Yes. We're we're absolutely still thanking them every day for being as dedicated as they were because you know I definitely wouldn't be in the position that I am today with without the Chinese, absolutely. So pretty much growing up in a very rural place, really, most of the friends are from white people and some Asian people. 大部分就是在 Hood River community 的话，就是这样子占，我是觉得九十七 percent 吧，真的是很早的东方的 family 一起在这里长大的。呃，我记得我爸妈只有好像两三个家庭吧，他们有时候会去拜访一下。他们是算是一个小的一个 Asian community 在在呃 Hood River 那边。这样子就是说，长大的这个 experience 是蛮特别的，因为我我觉得我的想法跟很多来这里，不过去洛杉矶或者去比较大的都市的小孩子的长大的 experience 是比较不一样的，因为我觉得真的是有一点
I don't know. Like, I, I want to say it was just a more of a, gosh, how should I put it? It was just more of a white trash experience. I don't, <laughs> <laughs> don't want to really like say that, but like, that's what we did as kids. Like we were just, we were just trying to go out into the forest as much as we can and into Mount Hoods. And uh, we were just going into the orchard and cutting up and just with like machetes and making our own trails and fishing in the streams and catching crayfish and doing all these. That sounds amazing. (laughs) You know, and then just like getting into trouble as far as just like ah gosh drugs and alcohol in high school you know that but you don't hear about asian kids doing these things but sometimes that's what we get into when these are your friends and that's what the uh that's all the small the community was but uh we're all right we're we're still good we're still good (laughs) yeah i wanted to say that my experience growing up was it was definitely different, especially coming from the countryside of the U.S. Yeah, it was uh, definitely working class, though. But yeah, just a bunch of rowdy kids just want to spend their weekends just so bored out in the countryside that we're just trying to find things to do, blowing stuff up. Did you ever get into hiking? Because that area of the country is just beautiful. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, but... Uh, haven't gotten into backpacking. We definitely gotten a couple times of hiking, camping, where you're just hiking in the Mount Hood National Forest and then camping there for a night, bringing everything back out. Growing up, it's funny because the experience was it's so countryside that you just want to get out of it and go into the city and just be where it's like busy and just like where it was active and nowadays i'm always going back to hood river thinking like man what when am i gonna try and get a house back out here you know and just try and find a way to live back out there because it's just so nice uh in hood river we just didn't know what we had until we left because it is a beautiful area yeah i did a a race hood to coast uh, a couple years ago you know, the relay race? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess we started in Mount Hood. Yep, yep. Yeah. Government camp area, yeah. Yeah, I would like to go back and actually do a proper trip next time. How many miles did you do? Typically, it's like 10 people, 200 miles total. Legs, yeah, yeah, I don't remember my legs yep. of it. Probably 10 to 15, maybe. You left Hood River to go to college. Yeah, so uh, leaving Hood River to go to college, that was kind of a funny experience in itself. Uh, well, it's just as far as just like high school in the U.S. where like I was accepted my senior year in October to University of Oregon and I was just like well that was my choice of where I wanted to go and now I'm accepted. So party the rest of the year? (laughs) Yeah exactly so it was just like I had off-site after lunch I didn't even need to come back to school after lunch. Talking to Taiwanese kids growing up and their experience and their schooling experience it's like man like that's just crazy to think about where I'm just like free to do whatever I want at noon and I'm I'm able to drive at 16 and I'm just like yeah we're just getting into trouble I I shouldn't always say getting into trouble I was a good kid I'm gonna keep on saying that for for the parents We're still good kids. We're still good band. You know, we still got A's and B's. We had to keep that up in order to participate in school and stuff like that. 
for me growing up, I was already addicted to shoes and I was a sneakerhead from middle school. Like my parents had a friend that was working for Nike as an IT and we had a chance to go into the employee store in middle school. And I remember that was like the first time my dad was just like, all right, you get a pair of just walking shoes and then you get a pair of basketball shoes. And then I was just like blown away. I remember getting my shoes and uh, um, actually like cradling it and then just like, yeah, like pretty in like on a pedestal, pretty much like <laughs> wishing for a great season every year. That was my ad- starting the addiction towards sneakers and understanding about sneakers and wanting to get into yeah, the brand side to understand like how designers like design shoes. And that's when I was myself drawing shoes. Yeah. And trying to create my own little portfolio. Uh, yeah. And that led me to the University of Oregon where I graduated with sports marketing and, and a minor in Chinese, which was kind of funny as well. That might, <laughs> that was, yeah, those courses were uh, a lot of people were just like, man, you shouldn't be in there. I was like, I, I felt kind of bad. <laughs> You're one of those. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I felt kind of bad because they're just like, man, what are you doing here? You're you're like speaking good Chinese. Like we're we're still trying. It, but at the same time, it was some of the people that I met were just super impressive about how good their Chinese were, um, and how committed they were for the four years that they were at the university and doing what they can to learn everything about the language. And some of them were just super impressive. But you plotted it out because you knew you wanted to go into shoes, like a career in sports and shoes. Yes. So talking a little bit more about that, a lot of it was definitely career and learning experience. I graduated in 2009. That's when the big recession happened. So nobody was really able to find work and jobs. Right. I was doing fine dining throughout high school. Um, I was able to get a job as a server at Columbia Gorge Hotel. Yeah, right in Hood River. So I was able to do that for two years and do that throughout college as well for some summers and have that experience on my resume that I was able to get a job up in Seattle after connecting with my brother. My brother went to University of Washington after graduating high school. So he was already up in Seattle. So I went up there to look for opportunities and was able to get a position with a hotel up there. The hotel experience, like all of this life experience really was it's really funny because like throughout, I, I want to say I did not have really any Asian, Asian friends. It was hard for me to really relate to Asian, I want to say, yeah, the, the students. I remember like they were, they had their click and yeah, and I would just seem like I was lost, I guess. <laughs> Because I remember a lot of them, like, in their clique would just be, like, looking at me, like, curious in a way. Because because of your hobbies? No. Because um, you know the language and you look Asian. Yeah, I know the language, but they don't know that I can speak it, really. Because they just think that I was born here because I had no Asian friends. And majority of this or these people are kind of like international students that came here and like 
have their own cliques already at the university. And, you know, with me and my friends, it was just the network of friends. But how do you think that shaped your identity? I have always thought about that because, like, I was definitely trying to, like, figure that out for, for a long period of time. At the end of the day, I felt like the people, my friends, you know, everybody that I met throughout my life and throughout college are, are just good, genuine people. I feel like I would be a lot different. My personality would be 100% a lot different if I grew up in Taiwan. Yeah, absolutely. Just because of hearing about how my cousins grew up and like what they had to go through in school and all that stuff. It was just so much more free, like, I don't know, freedom in like the, what we were doing, what we were picking up as hobbies and yeah, what we were doing every day. Like uh, once again, back to the whole AAU story with my brother, like being in the stands of my brother's basketball game, my mom would be talking to parents asking about their homework and their grades. And then the parents would like give her a really, really confused look. Like we have no idea. We're just here to just making sure that they're having a good time. My mom really quickly knew that that wasn't a question to really ask other parents. So pretty much getting the job up in Seattle and getting to work in the service industry is always just such a funny industry. I mean, like the movie waiters really like to, <laughs> not not too much like the pranks that they're doing, but I don't know. I feel like some of the personalities it is definitely like what how they depict it in some of the movies because uh, in the service industries, there's so much different backgrounds and uh, um, everybody's personality is just, yeah, clashing is just smorgasbord, which I personally really enjoyed and thought that working experience was unique and awesome. I met a lot of servers and bartenders and people that have been kind of lifers in the industry, that they've been doing what they were doing for 30, 35 years just because the money is so good, you're able to get like $500, $600 a night from tips that you just kind of don't want to let go of it. After five years in, and when the economy got pretty much better, I knew that uh, this wasn't something that I wanted to do for the rest of my life, uh, which was doing weddings and doing banquets. I was good at it. I was good at hospitality. I was good at customer service. But once again, I knew that I wanted to do something in sports and I wanted to do something in footwear. I bet my mom still remembers that phone call that I had with her and the discussion of me saying that I'm going to let go of this cushy job and I'm going to start a part-time position at Nike Town Seattle. And yeah, that was a very, very interesting and tough conversation. My mom said that she didn't sleep for a month straight after I did that move. She told you this afterwards, after you got situated? Yeah, she told me this afterwards. Yeah. I feel yeah. like parents do that. Yeah, because, uh, <laughs> um, because yeah, absolutely. They're definitely worried because uh, I had such a cushy and such a secure position. And they're just like, why are you giving that up? Like, there's nobody, there's no way that, you know, you're, you're somebody in Taiwan that you would give that up. And I was just like, uh, you know, I just knew I wanted to do more than this. I mean, I guess you knew since middle school you wanted to work in sports. Yep. But how did you know that was the time to leave? 
And did you have some sort of transition plan or you're like, nope, I'm just going to go all in? No, I did not have a transition plan. I didn't. I mean, I myself just knew I couldn't handle the same thing over and over again. I would not be able to handle that, even though like every wedding is different. It's still the same stuff, different day, you know, kind of the deal. Did you think about it for a while? Yeah, and then I knew that no matter what, I can always land back in customer service somewhere. And I knew that I could always have that as a backup. So I wasn't too scared. And I told my mom this, but she was just, yeah, she was freaking out. I took the position in Nike Town Seattle when they had a seasonal, just like a quick seasonal position. But because of how much I knew about Nike, like the guy tried to stump me during the interview by asking what was the first shoe with a Nike airbag within it. Oh my gosh, that's a very specific question. Cynthia, do you know? I do not. So it was a Nike Tailwind. And it was uh, 1972 and uh, uh, wait, 1982. I was able to give him that answer. And he was just like, all right, <laughs> you know, your Nike history. But I just knew too much about the brand because of Oregon and all of uh, just being a fan of it, I guess. You know, it, it definitely got me the position and I was in because of my background in hospitality and customer service. It was really easy for me to help the customer and during the time they were doing like having the customers fill out surveys for like five dollar gift certificate and if you get the most surveys you get like employee of the week or just like these like small little giveaways i believe i think i still hold the record as far as like 42 surveys yeah i still remember that because everybody was just like how do you do it (laughs) it's just like these like things like you just tell them it's five bucks you know like and then just be friendly people are willing to people will be willing to do it but i don't know social interactions these days sometimes get a little weird from there i actually was constantly making informational interview set up with nike employees here at whq to try to find out exactly what i wanted to do because everybody at Nike or work for Nike is just like, hey, man, Nike's huge. You you need to pinpoint like what you're good at and trying to figure out what specifically you would like to do for the company. So I was doing multiple interviews with, let's see now, like marketing, like uh, this photography part department. I was also doing with the catering and the PR department, stuff like that. And I landed with a footwear developer by uh, the name of Sarah Sowers. She was in Nike ID during the time. She was a law five-year footwear developer already in and uh, was a friend of a friend that was kind enough to sit down with me for a little bit. And from the informational interview, she gave me pretty much three career paths. She told me if I really wanted to do what she thinks I want to do, which is her job as like building a shoe. She gave me either A, go back to school to study product development and get a degree in it, or B, what I'm doing right now, working from the ground up and just start from the Nike town side and try to find a way into headquarters. And then from headquarters, as long as you can get a Black Badge, uh, which is a full-time employee within Nike, you can start connecting and having these stretch 
positions that they called it, where you could move into a position where it's what you want to do for the company. And then, or C, which is the last option, she said, I can try to find a job overseas to learn from the ground up as far as how these things are made. If I were able to get factory experience, she said that would be the most beneficial and probably the quickest. For me, I actually chose B and was trying to find a way to wiggle in to Nike HQ. So I made that transition and down to Nike Town Portland. Sorry to interrupt. Can we back up? Can you talk a little bit about the informational interview portion? Like what did you ask them or how did you reach out to them? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I feel like in the U.S., so much is about informationals and networking, like who you network with is really what gets you into that job opportunity, that position. So I wish I knew about doing informationals more in college because that was definitely the time to do it. And you actually have a reason and a thing to explain why you're doing it instead of, you know, I'm just trying to take your job. (laughs) The informational, my questions was, it's all about their job, their position. What is their day-to-day like? What do they find difficult about their job? Or what do they like about their job? And of course, more about the brand side of things as a huge corporation. I like, how did you fit in and how get into the position that you are there today? Everybody that I met was willing to take an informational is way they are happy to talk about their job always from my understanding i mean like everybody that i talked to really was very open about their position and how they got there and because they understood the hustle and what i was doing was similar to what they were doing in order to get to their position so they were very willing to share and give me a lot of pointers about their job and whether or not I would be a good fit. And did you bring your portfolio to any of these things or were you still working on your portfolio at that time? I was still working on my portfolio at that time. I only had my resume and like pretty much just telling them about like my drive and my background and what I was doing to try to get into Nike. And from there, a lot of them were just appreciated what I was trying to do. So they were just trying to get me connected to people, but they they weren't really the ones that offered up any positions, really. Awesome. Thank you. So you took part B. So pretty much during the transition to part B, when I was going from Seattle to Portland, I decided to make that transition from Nike Town, Seattle to Nike Town, Portland to be closer to WHQ. So yeah, I could continue to do network and connect with people on on campus for more opportunities. Right when that transition happened, I was set to transition in June. My parents decided that we were going to set up a trip back to Taiwan um, in mid-June because my cousin was getting married. So all of these things were set up to where I was going to leave Nike Town, Seattle, spend a month to transition down to Nike Town Portland and really wouldn't start work until the beginning of August. And when that all was set into place, one day I was working at Nike Town Seattle, I think two weeks before I was leaving. Just normal shift, but seeing three men dressed up in uh, um, suit and tie 
coming into the store and was really, really interested in a lot of the the shoes and the clothing in the area. But uh, I was just speaking English to them in the beginning just to introduce some of the stuff and to direct them um, where they needed to go. And I remember Jason pointed to me and said in Chinese to his employee on the side and said, we, we need a, a guy like this in Chinese. And I said, I speak Chinese. I understood what you said. What do you mean by, like, what do you need? So that guy like the business card uh, um, exchange and then letting me know that they were supplying to Nike and that if I was interested and to see if I was willing to do a position of sales with them. Well, they were just like saying like, would you be interested in a position to just like come to Taiwan and learn? Uh, really, it was just a quick conversation. I really knew nothing about Syntex at all or how that process of materials to factories to garments to retail shops. Like I still didn't understand the whole steps it took a lot of Googling, understanding, hey, Syntex is actually legit. They supply to a lot of outdoor brands and a lot of YouTube videos about them and a lot of awards in Taiwan. It was just perfect timing because we were going back to Taiwan for my cousin's wedding. I remember the, the day because my whole family was just like, all right, as soon as we land in Taoyuan International Airport, we're just going to go straight up to, to Syntex and go see them as a family wow and yeah I, my mom and dad went too and all that stuff but yeah they they connected right away because uh jason's wife is also from Dongsi and she was hako as well so they connected that way and they just said hey this is meant to be and they offered me a job right then and there wow, really yeah it was uh it was very very lucky and very fortunate 我就是这样子发生他们就跟我问说要不要花一年在台湾在五谷台北工业区六个月在他们的办公室做销然后六个月在他们的展场还有工厂学抽沙还有到展布这个部分然后我还记得就是当天去了新彩新菜之后回家的路上我们在车上在谈这个position我就是告诉我妈妈这个就是从离开Edgewater在西雅图到现在的一个结果了不过还是是一个新的一个开始一个new beginning But I told them that hey You know it was an interim position It was kind of just like a a learning experience in a way so I really wasn't getting paid anything but what I said was to my parents was that you know this was going to be an experience that would probably set me up for for the next part of my life so as long as I spend the time and learn it this will be good in the long run and I told them that's what I said to them and yeah, that was the beginning of spending that summer in Syntex where I went back to Portland and just told my manager, hey, this is what, what happened. I know, I, I know you just picked me up, but I got to leave in the next month. That's amazing. So wait, you actually went from option B to going to C. Yeah, and crept into C. Yep. I bet your parents are so proud. 
Yeah, they're absolutely really proud of where I'm at right now. But the whole story of how they, uh, the whole story of going into Nike and like how I was like, oh, that's definitely a, a story in itself too. So seeing Tex for a year, I came back. So I went back to Taiwan and that's where we met um, during my year in seeing Tex. And that was essentially like right in the beginning of uh, my work experience. Yeah, in 2015. Mm -hmm. I admire your hustle and to some degree you like put in a lot of work and then there's like a stroke of luck and then obviously more work. Yeah, yeah. I want to say, of course, it's good people. It's, uh, uh, it's definitely luck included. And, and a lot of it is, I want to say majority of it is, of course, putting yourself in that position. If you are putting yourself in that position, then you have a chance of getting that luck, you know, to, to get to that next spot. Because uh, I, I felt like where I set myself up with Nike Town Seattle, I got myself in that position to do that transition over. And Singtex also put me in that position to get connected more with brands. And I knew that as long as I learn about the language of how materials and textiles are sold, and as long as I learn about how the supply chain works, that will get me into the next step. The whole time at Syntex was kind of weird, too, because they already had a U.S. rep. So they already had a U.S. rep by the name of Mike. And Mike's just like uh, this older gentleman in his 60s that's been helping Syntex for the past eight years. He had his ways, he was very set on his ways, and he did not like me at all coming. Because you were a threat, even though you were like, I'm just here to learn, just here for a year. Yeah, exactly. You know, when he first came back to Taiwan, I said, hey, Mike, is it all right if we do a one-on-one? I really want to learn from you because what Syntex has planned for me is set up is to go back to the U.S. to help you because that was what they are grooming me for, in a way. And his first reply to me was, if you really want to help me and Syntex, you shouldn't come back to the U.S. Oh, are you serious? Yeah, 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 yeah for sure. I, I still remember distinctively because he had the sweet spot, you know? Why did he want somebody coming in and ruin it? It is a very lucrative business. There's a lot of trust involved, especially coming into these representations and like not knowing exactly what the person is doing across the ocean. And you're getting paid good money for sometimes not doing so much. And like, you know, you're able to milk it and take advantage of it. And you don't want anybody kind of stepping in, you know? Uh, it's tough to say. Would I be like that if I was in this position? I don't know. It's tough to say because if I worked at it at so many years and all, I am told that I need to teach somebody that I don't want to teach, you know, that could be tough too. I don't know if it was bad on Mike's side or is bad on ThinkTech's side, but they definitely didn't communicate about, you know, how they wanted to approach this. So they kind of just shoved me in there. And that's what kind of happened throughout my first year back here in the U.S. So after my one year was up in Taiwan, they actually wanted to keep me in Taiwan for longer 
but that didn't make any sense to me because I said, like, I think I can sell. It would make more sense if I follow Mike and learn how to sell from the U.S. and help you guys over to there. So then we set up a contract and how it will work as far as me coming back over here and then helping Mike. And I did that for a solid year before Mike got kind of sick of it and was quitting because he was trying to find faults in what I was doing. But every time that he would try to do that, like syntax will always be on my side on things. It was just a really interesting working experience. But at the end of the day, Mike left. How was the Taiwan experience? It was great for me, but I understood why some international like uh, exchange students or like uh, working people going over there for work might find it kind of difficult, just because work is pretty much your life over there.、Um, it's tough to say that, but it really is. When you are going in at eight o'clock in the morning and not leaving until eleven o'clock at night, work is your life. You know, when it got into production. These people, like the North Face team, was doing a solid two weeks of that, and only one day off, which was Sunday. They were even working Saturdays doing that. So work becomes your life. The people that are at work becomes your family, and it's extremely difficult to leave family. Where you are fortunate to find a job when you graduate in Taiwan, you don't know what else. If there's bigger and better out there, because you don't want to give this up, but you really don't know because you really haven't worked any other job. Does that make kind of make sense? Yeah, it definitely does. Because that's what I was getting kind of feel as far as talking to coworkers over there. They didn't have my kind of mentality of just like you know what I'm just going to quit and I'm just going to make things happen. You know. Yeah, that's a very Western way of thinking about it. See what opportunity lies. Like, as long as you have like somewhat of a goal, right? But yeah, Taiwan, you just there's so much influence because majority of the people that the college graduates they're still living with family, so you have the influence at home of hey, you're you got a good job, stick with that job. Don't rock the boat. Exactly, and then once you get into work, you're working all day, and you're with these people that are constantly complaining about their job, but they are always saying they're fortunate enough and in, like enjoy what they're doing, but they just don't know what other jobs or what else is out there. So, but that comes along with another cultural. Things with it too, because a lot of these factory working families that I've met and talked to, they really, in their lifetime, they don't, they don't go like a hundred miles outside of where they they were born, you know. Because I met the lady, so it was one of those woven beam machines, right? And it's just this huge beam machine. In the beam machines, there's these individual reeds. That you need to hook an individual thread through, so it it is an organized column. So like these reeds, there's like thousands of them in this one beam, and then you just watch this lady using this claw-like mechanism, where this it's just this like rake-looking tool, and she's just like scooping it one by one, or in segments of like five strings, and hooking them through the reeds. But she was doing this so quick that I was just like, "Damn, there's nobody but you can do that." 
she was going so quick. It was just like, it's, it was amazing. But then it was just like, man, this is what you've been doing nine to five for 20 years, you know? And it's just like, it's definitely something about that. And then there's something about, yeah, that's just the way of life. They don't want to rock the boat and they enjoy their, and they're thankful for what they have, you know? It was definitely very fortunate and eye-opening for me to have that experience while I was in Taiwan yeah, and being out in the factories and seeing these things. Sorry, went off a little bit again. No, thank you for that. Because I think just from the job perspective of like, hey, you have a safe job. Why would you want to change it? I think that's that's probably something that resonates a lot with probably people in our generation or, yeah. you know, brought up in in the middle of the two cultures. Yeah. I tell a lot of my friends and everybody that's thinking about it these days, like, hey, absolutely. Like, it doesn't matter how old you are. Do an informational with somebody that you feel like they're doing the job that you want to do. They would still be happy about talking about their job. You're just asking them, like, what their day-to-day is like. And you can definitely, from there, figure out if, if that would be a right fit for what you want to do and try to pursue it. The parental influence and just the family influence, if you're living with all your family, aunts and uncles and stuff, that, yeah, that would be super tough. And I would understand why you wouldn't be able to, or not a lot of people rock the boat. Yeah, sorry, I like totally detracted. You're trying to finish your Syntex to Nike to your own company transition. Okay, so pretty much after my conversation with Syntex was, they knew that I was still all about sneakers. Like I would, I would really talk to them about shoes and stuff like that. And clothing, I was getting better at textiles and um, talking about that aspects of it. But I was still constantly still trying to figure out how I was going to be getting shoes. So throughout the time that I came back to the U.S. and was with Syntex, I kept in touch with Sarah Sowers. I been giving her really apples from my family every year during Christmas. And yeah, just been keeping in touch because, hey, people that you network with that you want to feel like you want their job later on, you know, just try to be extra friendly with them. But at the same time, just let them know what you yourself have been doing to accelerate or putting yourself into that position to succeed. So I've been keeping in touch with her and letting her know my movements and going overseas and stuff like that. That winter of 2017, she said, there's an open position in materials. It's not guaranteed because it was a contract position. But if you're interested, this is a way into the brand. I applied for it. I met some great people during my interview and was able to get hired pretty quickly just because they saw what I did for the past three years and the transitions that I was doing. All of them have said, hey, this is a contract position. This is going to end, but this gets you everybody that's going into as a full-time Nike employee pretty much has to take this step anyway. So try your best to find a way to land a full-time position. So after I got the job, I told Syntex, hey, I'm sorry. I need to end the contract at the end of this year because I got an opportunity with Nike. They were really understanding because at the same time, 
they are proud to say that they themselves have somebody working at Nike. I'm sure that they share that story all the time. After getting into Nike, it was a really of an understanding of how corporate a corporate structure work in a whole matrix system, a matrix corporation works because every department that you're working for is essentially its own small company within the whole conglomerate. What you are doing individually, somebody that's doing your same position across just like several buildings away probably don't know like what you're working on. That's just how big the company was. And that was definitely something to adjust to. I was fortunate enough to get into footwear materials development. And yeah, it was just with good people. It was a good team and good people. But a lot of the times, it was still an understanding of, how should I put it? 我在Nike的时候,我跟大家在已经是在Nike的full-time的employee会跟我说, 不能放全部的energy在你的工作上，你应该要把超多二分之一的能力去找工作。不过这个对我来讲是有一点比较难的地方，因为我们也是有一点，because I grew up, you know, working just working hard and trying to let my work show for itself. And usually things happen that way, but it's definitely not that way in a corporate environment. Like you have to be looking out for yourself no matter what. So yeah, I, I just put my head down and I just did my work for the year and a half that I was there at Nike. Did a lot of great stuff for the brand that I felt. I worked in three different departments. I was included um, that consists of American football, baseball, lacrosse, and softball. Across the NFL, collegiate, and all that stuff. I was involved with Nike Golf. Did a lot of Tiger Woods shoes. I did a lot of Rory Mac, uh, yeah, Rory shoes. And then uh, um, did a lot of Nike SB. Very, very high profile work. Yes, very high profile work because, uh, yeah, and it was all performance categories, which I was very fortunate to be in. But you yourself are on an island in this whole matrix corporation because there was only me in this footwear materials position within the category. So all of their questions regarding materials will be coming to either the designer or the developer. So as long as you know how to get the people what they want as far as what their design aesthetics or their design language is, and if you're able to get a physical sample of what the designer wants, then man, like you're good. You're set at Nike and that's it's essentially what I was doing. Like every project that, that designers or the teams had in mind, I was always able to at least get a sample back and be able to communicate really well what we can and cannot do with this material and what the reasons were. And I would be able to lay out options for them. And a lot of the reasoning behind it is just because I've been on the vendor side of it. And majority of them are in China or in Taiwan that I was dealing with that could speak Chinese. So I can also communicate with them on another level. And they were super happy about that too. So 
it made it really easy for me while I was at Nike to really deliver my projects and my material to the teams. What I wasn't doing was trying to find a full-time position for myself. What I did for the year and a half was really just put my head down and kicked ass. And, and until pretty much this summer in June, where my director pulled me to the side and said, hey, your contract is coming up. Your position is really needed. So I don't think there's an issue as far as it getting extended till the end of the year. And this was going to be the end of 2019. And she she said that, but I would strongly advise you to just look for jobs or full-time positions and start interviewing, and I'll put in a good word for you. And I said, yeah, okay, no problem. I will spend till the end of the year looking for positions. A month before my contract end, which was the beginning of July, she calls me up again saying, hey, there is an issue with your contract because you already been extended twice and you're over 2000 hours. There may be an issue extending your contract. Let your directors or people that you worked with to send an email to the higher ups so they can show that your position is necessary. So I got VPs, directors, and everybody. They were more than happy to sending out email on my behalf saying, yes, we like Bruce on the team. We want to keep him. We know that he's over, but his position is really crucial to the department and the team. A week before my contract ended, I got a, hey, thanks for sending out all those emails. You're approved. You're good until the end of the year. Try to find a full-time position before the end of the year. And I said, yeah, okay, no problem. I'll spend more time trying to find a full-time position now instead of just spending all the time doing my work. Wednesday, two days before my contract ended, call from director. Your contract is being held up because Nike themselves, as a company as a whole, is discussing contract positions, which is ETWs contract positions, and the ability to extend over 2,000 hours. It's on hold. To tell you the truth, I don't think it's going to be extended. You should be expecting to be let go Friday. Oh, my gosh. They gave you two days notice? She gave me a two days notice. She told me that Nike itself, the higher-ups, didn't want to tell me until Friday. Wow. And just tell me the day of and then just have me just, like, leave. Walked out. Yep. It was over the summer. A lot of my teammates, a lot of people in the category were out on summer break or uh, doing their taking time off. And so I was there on a Friday and I was gone on Monday when they came back from weekends. People were just, they were super upset and mad on my behalf. And I was just like, how can you like, yeah, they even like, <laughs> they even had like a little hashtag following called justice for Bruce going on for a little while. <laughs> It's super funny. It was on my desk and stuff. Uh, I should send you a picture of it. Gosh, looking back, it was a blessing in disguise. Definitely in hindsight, 2020. What happened was I was let go in July. In August, I went on unemployment uh, and trying to figure out what the hell I was doing or going to do, whether or not if I had an opportunity to get back to Nike because everybody was just like, Job openings will happen soon in September after the first quarter's done. 
just wait. You'll get you'll be able to get your position back. And I was just like, all right, maybe I should just spend a month, enjoy unemployment, and just work on the house where uh, my wife and I just bought a new house here in Beaverton. So we were putting in hardwood floors and stuff like that. That was another thing that a lot of talking to a lot of Taiwanese people about is that they found really interesting. I don't know if they were a little jealous. It's more about just like working on the house yourself, like doing little DIY projects. Like we tore out the carpet in the house, put in uh, hardwood floors ourselves. And a lot of uh, these vendors or uh, Taiwan friends that came and like looked at it was just like, oh, wow, that's never thought about like doing something like that. I always wanted like stuff like that. Whether or not if I was going to get back into Nike and that was when Northwest Material Show went on at the Portland Convention Center. I had an opportunity from my director to interview with Under Armour to work possibly in their basketball category with Curry, where I was super excited about. Wow. So I did the interview with them that day at the convention. It was the interview came and went, but in the same day at the convention was where I met back up with a lot of Taiwan vendor friends. One friend was saying, hey, now that you've been let go by Nike, would you be interested in going back as far as representing? He told me that it wouldn't just be his company, it would be three companies total that need somebody to help with their Nike account and just their Nike account. That's amazing. And they thought I would be perfect for it because I knew everybody within Nike and, well, as far as the material teams within Nike. After not hearing back about the Curry position for the month of August, in September, I kept in touch with these companies and started jotting up a contract with them and how it would look and what I would do for them. And um, when I really didn't hear back, from Under Armour until the start of October, I was just like, man, waiting two months for a contract position is just, that's just not the way to go. Oh, yeah. During this time, I also interviewed with Nike, and that's another messed up thing again. They ended up making the cleated and the whole, that whole department having a manager position, materials developer manager position. And for skateboarding, they had a material developer two positioning. And then for golf and tennis, they also had a material developer two position. And I asked whether or not if I can apply for the material developer two position because it requires five years of footwear developing experience. And I was told, no, I do not qualify. Even though you've already done a lot of work for them and launched so many products to say it pretty nastily was really i was doing three people's job by myself because you had all those categories under you initially yeah oh my gosh yeah and they wouldn't give that job back to me bruce i admire your guts and just being like that's it i'm gonna do my own yeah because that's exactly what i mean like at the same time I was able to earn the trust of these these vendors to be like, these are the things I would do for you for sure if you want me to represent you. I was really clear about it, what I can and cannot do for them. And as long as I was upfront, 
I felt like we had a mutual understanding and they were really happy to find somebody that they were able to trust because, yeah, this representation stuff, it's just a lot about trust and communication. When I went back to the interview, I was only able to interview for a material developer one position, which was for uh, Nike kids, young athletes, and Nike basketball and global football. I did the interview, but at the end, I decided to take my name out of the hat and said that I had a better opportunity. And now I am working with Nike, which uh, works out pretty well because a lot of people know my name within the company now. Whenever I'm on campus, there's always people that are just like, hey, we'd love to set up a meeting and we can talk more about it. But uh, since COVID, that kind of has changed a little bit as far as meeting life. Within this time, there's a lot more people as far as Taiwan vendors within Nike needing some more people in my position just because they aren't physically able to come here anymore due to the pandemic. So, yeah, running this business, I want to say I really got myself into a niche position, but Thinking about it, not a lot of people can do my work and do it well. So there's definitely something going for that. And I told my mom the success that came from when I first left. It is taking that little leap of faith, but just at least having a little bit of that, you know, North Star that you're kind of chasing. That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing with us. Yeah, sorry, it just went directly into English, but I felt like if I were to use Chinese, it would have taken way, way too long. I would say congratulations. It's so wonderful hearing, just hearing, first of all, your background, because I think it's really cool that you got to grow up on an orchard. And then yeah. to knowing what you want to do and then doing it, even though you might have like societal voices or I guess like what I feel is like, oh no, I can't do, take that leap because X, Y, Z or whatever. Mm-hmm very much admire you for that. I guess we'll try to wrap up a little bit because I ate up a lot of your time today. No, I, I feel like I took a lot of your time, a lot to give in the life story. Well, let's see. So we, I mean, we can definitely talk again next time um, if you have anything else you want to talk about because I, w- I would love to hear more about the company and the business side, being an entrepreneur and all that. But I think in the meantime, yep, yep. do you have other advice for anybody just in general that you want to share? And what's the best way if you would like to promote your business for people to get in touch with you? I want to say for the latter question, I don't know. I, I'm, uh, my business is pretty uh, pretty quiet in itself because I only deal with Nike and Nike account. If you want to get in touch with me, you yourself are interested in making your own shoes. And I can talk to you as far as how the process of doing that and maybe get you connected with the material components to do that. But footwear is definitely very, very complex when you're talking about multiple components and multiple assembly aspects of it. But if somebody's interested in starting their own footwear brand, I can try to assist somewhat in that. How can they get in touch with you? Oh, they could just send an email to me at uh, bruce.chang at cleversourcepdx.com. I'm more than happy to talk to anybody that's interested in what this industry is kind of like and this whole international business really as well. Awesome. More than happy to share and uh, yeah, talk to anybody that's really interested. Thanks, Bruce. This was amazing. 
Yeah, thanks for hearing the story once again. I know that it ran a little long. Do you have anything else you want to talk about next time? There could be more stories and stuff like that to share as far as being Asian American and uh, working at Nike and like the experience of that and what's going on. Yeah, with the company itself, with the whole social justice part. All very interesting, but yeah, that's probably something for another time. Yeah, I would love to actually ask you about that next time because we hear a lot about the protests going on right now in Portland. <laughs> and there's also these documentaries and news articles about a variety of companies using like labor <laughs> forces. I don't know if you can talk about that next time, but I, I would personally be very interested in that as well. Yeah, for sure. Because uh, one of my one of the color designers that I met at Nike, he, he's an African-American and uh, he is all out trying to make some change within within the company and what he feels is a needed change for what Nike has essentially taken for granted for the past, well, ever since that they came into business. But at the same time, it's really not just Nike, it's a lot of other companies out there, but Nike just having so much history and uh, having so many diverse culture on on campus now people want their voices heard and absolutely they they demand this change yeah there's also i listened to this podcast the daily a couple weeks ago there was one about Uh a girl who worked at adidas oh yeah 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 yep yep heard about that story too and yeah i mean like they're definitely protesting on campus over at adidas as well and uh just driving by the campus i think it was last week or two weeks ago there's people at the front entrance and making sure that their voices are heard and there's a lot of work for us to do for sure as a country oh yeah oh yeah it's just it's crazy out there right now hey we 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 do what we can and uh it's just uh very fortunate for what we have Thank you so much. Congratulations again on all the hustle. Thanks. Sometimes I, I, I guess I don't give myself enough credit, but I, I always put it to where I had good people around me and I had good people pushing me in the right direction. And they, they believed in me. Yeah, but a lot of the times I want to say it's majority putting yourself in that position. Um, as long as you are there, you will always at least get yourself in that situation where you could probably succeed. So, thanks so much for for chatting with me, Cynthia. Thanks, Peru. Bye-bye. And that's it for today. Please send me a message on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at T-W-D-I-A-S-P-O-R-A or shoot me an email. It's hello at TaiwaneseDiaspora.com. And if you or other people you know have stories that they'd like to share on this podcast, please send them my way as well. Some of you have asked about how to support the show. So if you are inclined, go to coffee, ko-fi.com slash T-W-D-I-A-S-P-O-R-A to donate. And if you like to read, check out my book recommendations at bookshop.org slash shop slash T-W-D-I-A-S-P-O-R-A. And 10% of the proceeds will come back to support the show. All right, see you next time.